Today with Catherine Ruinala. Well, the Bible actually says he desires to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, hope, or imagine. This is the desire of God. And God wants us to recognize and believe and begin to make room in our hearts to receive what he wants to pour out. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is urging people to lift up their heads and shake off the dust of discouragement and despair that has tried to settle on people and cause them to go into some sort of holding pattern and let go of hope. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a, the lo a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Well, God wants to fulfill the deepest desires, the longings of our hearts. But you and I need to make room. And I want to share a little bit with you about how we do that tonight. Hallelujah. God is so good. If you'd turn with me in your Bibles, let's have a look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Now, I've shared on this before, but I want to start here. Verse, uh, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14, oh, verse 13 here. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. If you read it uh, in um, another version, it says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul was saying, this is one thing that I have determined to do. I am not gonna think about my failures. I am not gonna think about where I haven't measured up. I am not gonna think about the past things. They are behind me. Forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. And I believe the Lord is looking for us to be very deliberate as we enter into this new season and this new era to forget what lies behind and to strain forward, to look, to deliberately focus on what lies ahead. You know, the Bible says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Do you know what those plans are? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You see, God is better than you think. And He is kinder than you've yet dared to believe. In fact, He's consistently kind. He is kindness personified. You know, when, when I was younger, I, I used to think that God you know, he couldn't possibly be, you know, happy with me almost ever because I was never perfectly measuring up to what I thought I should be. And I'm, I felt like it would be right that God would be looking at me with a little bit of disappointment so that I would remember that I wasn't doing well enough. And a lot of people think that that's who God is that he's a stern father up in the sky, not wanting to encourage you too much in case you forget that you're not doing quite well enough, thinking that that might motivate you. Problem is, that isn't who God is. God is love. 
Love is defined for us as patient, kind, long-suffering, keeping no record of wrongs. Ah, yay! And so we come to God thinking, oh, he might be just, you know, I, I, he, he couldn't be very happy with me. And he's there going, hey, I love you. You're so beautiful. We go, yes, I love you. Angels, come and have a look. Oh, she's so lovely. Look at her pure, holy, lovely, righteous. Ah. And God tells us that it's faith that pleases him, that the righteous shall live by faith. It's not it's not wrong to believe that he looks at you and thinks you're wonderful and he loves you. It's actually faith that says, I believe, having confessed my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And he remembers my sin no more. And he says, as Christ is, as he is, so am I in this world. <gasps> What's he like? Oh, he's perfect. He's lovely, he's holy, he's worthy, he's kind, he's, he, his thoughts are pure, his motives are pure, he's, and that's what he says about me. And when I come before him to wait on the Lord, he's not there looking at me with his disapproving look. He's looking at me and he says he makes his face shine on me. He's gracious to me. He lifts up his countenance upon me, desiring to see me do the same works that Jesus did in greater works. This is God, our Father, our Heavenly Father, who is more wonderful than we've ever dared to believe. It's why in Ephesians 3, we have to pray for supernatural strength to comprehend this love that passes knowledge because it doesn't make human rational sense. Because in our mind, it couldn't possibly, he couldn't possibly consistently be that wonderful. Yet he is God who calls those things that be not as though they are. And he looks at you and says, mighty man of valor, woman of God. Because he calls you in to a faith that believes and empowers you to forget what lies behind and to press on to what lies ahead. Hallelujah. Now, come on, I'm preaching better than you're encouraging me. Hallelujah. Isaiah 43. This is good. Do you love your Bible? Oh, it's the Word of God. Hallelujah. Isaiah 43. This is delicious. Have a look at this. Well, we'll go uh, firstly to... So good, so good. We'll go here. 43 verse 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not say, will not... Remember your sins. He repeats it in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. This, this same verse, I will not remember your iniquity. That's your crookedness. I will not remember your sins anymore. He tells us in Zephaniah that I'll rejoice over you with singing and making no mention of past sins. I will not recall them anymore. Praise the Lord. It's a new day. 
You are the, the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hallelujah. And so when the enemy starts accusing you, you can say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Lord, you remember my sins no more. You've given me power now to be as he is. I have been made clean and I have power now to live like him. Hallelujah. Now let's just go back to verse 18 here of Isaiah 43. He says here, Do not call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past. I don't know about you, but I am regularly being tempted by the enemy to ponder the things of the past. I mean, it could be anything. A comment I made to somebody that I wanted to really impress that just was stupid. I shouldn't have said that. That was not very wise. And I think about it, oh, oh I shouldn't have said that. That was dumb. Oh, why did I do that? And, and, and then I'm re-traumatized all over again by the thing that I blurted out of my mouth and I'm condemning myself all over again. Does anyone else ever struggle with that? Just a couple. It's called regret. And there are a few things, having lived a few decades, I, uh, I regret. I have the gift of the gab, and yet sometimes the gift can be a problem. And I've said things that, oh, well, I wish I didn't say that. But the enemy loves to replay it. He has it in technicolor. And he'll come and replay it in my head, and I'll be like, I'll think of that person, and I'll go, oh, 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 what must they think? Oh, I probably wrecked that relationship forever. But you know what? I've learned what to do with that. When I start having those thoughts again, I think, hmm. I thank you, Lord, you give beauty instead of ashes, that you can make miracles out of messes. And Lord, that promise that you gave in Isaiah 61, that my former shame, pain, and disgrace, you will give me double recompense, that was a promise that was made to people who'd made the mess themselves in the first place. And yet you delight to bring double recompense, to bring beauty out of ashes and miracles out of a mess. So Lord, that was a mess. I sow it in faith that you're going to bring a beautiful outcome out of that. You're going to make it work for my good. Hallelujah. And now I'm not going to think about it anymore, but I'm going to celebrate. Thank you, Jesus. Pressing on to what lies ahead. I'm not going there, devil. Hallelujah. Because when we allow the enemy to clutter our head with the, the tapes, the replays of the regrets that we have, we're actually cluttering up the space that the Holy Spirit wants to fill. Because God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask, hope, or imagine. In fact, he tells us in Isaiah 54, if you want to flip over a little further, hallelujah, hallelujah, 
very first verse here. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who've not born child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who've not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame, and do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced, but you will forget the shame of your youth. And the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more, for your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Hallelujah. He says, sing, rejoice, shout aloud, you who haven't yet born, you who haven't yet seen what you've been longing to see. He says, get excited, stretch out your tent pegs, enlarge the place of your dwelling. What he's saying is make room in anticipation for what I am going to bring you. Make room for the children that I'm going to bring. Make room for the blessing that I'm going to pour out. Hallelujah. Make room for the harvest. Make room for what God wants to pour out into your life, the double for your trouble. And so with our hearts, we need to enlarge our capacity to receive. That is... We need to deal with the little foxes that would be camping in the corners of the tent and taking up the room that God wants to fill with blessing. I'm telling you, people know, uh, yes, the Lord wants to bless us. We've heard the blessing, the song go around the world, Numbers chapter six. The Lord bless you and keep you. It's a beautiful song and it's, it's been like the anthem of the year the blessing. But I'm telling you, the word of the Lord is, in this new season, the blessing is overtaking you. If you will make room, God will fill you and you will become like one who dreamed and say, I couldn't have, I couldn't have seen it. No matter, I couldn't have even believed that this could possibly happen. It's beyond belief, the blessing that God is bringing exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask, hope, or even have imagined. Hallelujah. It's. It's so far above, but I have to make room in my heart to receive it. That is, I have to be very diligent to shut down the replays of regrets that the enemy is trying to fill my brain space with. The Bible tells us to be very diligent to guard our hearts 
He says, guard your hearts with all diligence for out of it flow the wellsprings of life. That is, you have to protect what goes on in your mind, will, and emotions. You have to be protecting what's going on in your self-talk, in the things that are going on, because the enemy wants to try to distract you, wants to try to discourage you, wants to get you to give up. But the Holy Spirit wants you to sing and shout and celebrate and enlarge your anticipation, stretch out your tent pegs. And there is a war going on. One is trying to shut you down and the other is trying to open you up. One is trying to close you down so that you end up navel-gazing, getting disgusted and despairing and, and hopeless. And the other is trying to lift up your head, open up your gates so the King of glory can come in and that he can pour out a blessing that cannot be contained. This is the word of the Lord. I feel such a strong prophetic grace on this word right now because the Lord wants to do more than you have yet dared to believe. In fact, if it had been told, you couldn't have believed it. What God wants to do. You may have dreamed of, of, of some seemingly impossible things. Well, enlarge your tent. Enlarge your capacity because God wants to do not just a bit more than that, exceedingly abundantly above that. I don't know about you, but I can imagine some good things. And yet the heart of God is to do so much more. Can a nation be saved in a day? I mean, the heart of the Lord is to provoke you to begin to dream again in a way where he can, as you are beginning to daydream in faith with God, he can then pour into your life what he is longing to do. God is our, our provider, our healer, our helper, our king and our Lord, Lord of all the heavens and the earth. I, he's releasing a holy, terrifying awe of God that says, you are God, everything belongs to you. I am in you and yes, Lord, forgive me for limiting you in my thinking because nothing is impossible for you. Instead of being like the Israelites who saw God part the Red Sea and then wondered if he could feed them, God is wanting to release a gift of faith into our hearts that says he did that and he can do this and so much more. Hallelujah. He can set a banqueting table in the wilderness. Hallelujah. Nothing is impossible for those who believe. But we have to be vigilant. As those things get shot at us, we have to be careful that we don't buy into the lies that they are selling. Because when you are practicing and rehearsing the regrets of the past, you are also inadvertently rehashing all the emotion that you had when that happened and taking on an identity that is not yours. 
in that you, are, you, you can be tempted to start to believe you are stupid. You are just, oh, you've wrecked everything. God, you made a mess there. And God is looking for us to be very careful to guard our hearts, to put up our hands and say, no, no, I know where that's coming from. I'm not going there, devil. I, I do this literally because it's a genuine war that goes on for my mind. And I'm telling you, it's going on for yours too. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3, that if we have confidence before God, whatever we ask, we receive. So the best way for the enemy to steal you of your confidence is to remind you of your failures. And I mean, for me, it's becoming obvious because they seem so random, some of the, the regrets that I find myself thinking about. Like, why am I even, oh, not going there, devil. Father, I thank you. I sow that mess. You're going to make a miracle out of it. Double favor, double blessing. Hooray, Father, I thank you. I press on to what lies ahead. Now, I'm not going there. Talk to the hand. Hallelujah. It's warfare. And unless we recognize it, we will tolerate it. And if we tolerate it, it will take up room that God wants to fill with his blessing. We need to be very intentional to say, Lord, here I am, I'm coming. Here's my cup, fill it up. God, I present it to you. I present my mind. I thank you, Lord. I reckon myself dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ. I have the mind of Christ. Today, my mind belongs to you. You are my God. You are Lord of my mind. And today, Lord, I present it to you. Help me, Holy Spirit. To, to guard my heart with all diligence today. Help me to recognize the little foxes that come to spoil the vine of our love, the little foxes that come to bring fear and, and condemnation. Help me to recognize them and help me to not tolerate them. Help me, Lord, you who took the whip and cleaned out the temple, help me to pick up the sword of the Spirit and clean out Anything that's trying to camp in my head or in my heart that isn't true so that I can receive the fullness of what you want to do. Hallelujah. The exceeding abundant above. Because if, you, if you're tolerating even just a little bit of condemnation, you're, as you begin to start to believe that God is good and he wants to prosper me and not harm me, give me hope and a future and do good things. And he's laid up good works in advance for me to do. And the same works Jesus did in greater works. Oh, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm quite good enough for that. But you know, maybe there's an, a subtle limitation that comes when you are pegged down to a sense of condemnation that somehow says, mm, don't get too carried away because you really, you know, you haven't measured up. The woman at the well was being told by Jesus about this living water. And, and she's like, oh, that'd be good. I wouldn't have to come out here every day and drag these heavy pots and walk all this way. And Jesus was telling her about a, an abundance of supply that was available that she wouldn't have to work for. But the enemy would love to tell you, 
you're going to have to work to get that blessing. I mean, you're going to have to really perform well to be a really good boy or a good girl to be able to deserve that. And then the trap is you'll never quite get there. So you'll never actually be able to receive the fullness of what God gives because, you know, you're never quite good enough. But the living water that God wants to give, he wants to give to those who humble themselves like little children and say, yay, daddy, thank you, Lord, that you don't remember my sin anymore. Thank you, Lord, that I'm the redeemed of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm clean, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm pure, and you have a great hope and a future for me. The same works Jesus did in greater works, Lord, you're going to do with me. Thank you, Lord. It's a childlike faith that pleases God. Yet so many have been sold a lie that it's more holy and religious not to, you know, believe that God would want to really bless you. It's a trap that the enemy has set to try to hedge in the people of God. But God says, I want you to blow open the walls of those tents. I want you to open them up wide. I want you to extend the tent pegs. I want my wind to blow in and I want you to have no limits. 